We have just a, a great honor. She's not going to come up here today. She's going to address us next Sunday. She, she just flew in from around the world. But Anita, many of you know her as Anita Nelson. That's how she left here way back in, was it 2004? Somewhere around there, 2004, she went to Afghanistan to, to join uh, forces with Alessandro and Marcia and labored there for a number of years. Through a time of transitioning at Bible College at University of Nations in Hawaii, it's a great place to transition and get some respite, she uh, reconnected with uh, a, a, a wonderful Iranian man by the name of Danish, and uh, they decided that God was bringing them together for marriage. Danish is Persian, he's Iranian, and uh, they got married. And uh, she has not been in the United States for seven or eight years. And uh, this is the first time back. One is that Danish can't get into the United States. You know, it's, uh, you're conscripted in Iran to serve in the Republican Guard, whether you like it or not. And uh, because he did, he's, he's marked as dangerous in the area of terrorism, although he's not. He's a terrorist for Jesus. And a wonderful young man. He's an incredible evangelist. And so through the weighing out with clothes and open doors and processing with me, they, they've made a decision that they're going to plant a church in Armenia, and a city called Yerevan, Yerevan which is the capital of Armenia. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of Iranians who come over there to get educated, so the harvest is great amongst the Persian people. And uh, they're doing that. She's coming here to reconnect with her family, reconnect with City Harvest Church. We're going to be announcing a, a barbecue that we're going to have at our house uh, and just for people to come and get to know her vision and her heart. We'll give you that date here as soon as I clear it with the powers that be. And... Uh, First being my wife, which she's already given me that green light. And then I got other green lights. I got Pete's green light. I got Brittany's green light. I got a lot of green lights I got to go through, but it's okay. I used to be in charge. But uh, no, just teasing. But uh, we're going to be doing that. Uh, I, I believe in this young lady. She's lived an incredibly courageous life and uh, a wonderful woman of God. Just tell her, welcome home to City Harvest Church. As I said, we'll, we'll be hearing from her next week. Well, Pastor Pete's been doing a good job of taking care of my wife and I. He's wanted here in this last year for at least us to take three months off uh, just because we never took all of our vacation time. We never took a sabbatical. So we took some section of time off in the spring. We discovered a new love of ours called the road trip. And uh, so we've been doing road trips and uh, we just finished another one here a few weeks ago. Uh, this time we did it with a couple and we turned out to be a really great thing. You know, that, you know how four people are going to do in a car over a 4,000 mile trip, but we, we made it and we're still friends. But, uh, but uh, I want to thank Pete for just loving us that way. We have been working. MFI has been getting very, very busy and uh, Pastor Frank has been uh, really, really sick. He just got out of the hospital. I was just with him yesterday. And so some of those responsibilities have come on me. And we've had some emergencies in the church that I wanted to be available to some people. But it's been a good time. We, uh, we decided in this journey of trying to figure out how we live life at this point on, that, that it would be a great idea to get a puppy. 
We just thought this was going to be the best, one of the best therapeutic things that we could do is get a puppy. And, and Sue's heart is always to have uh, an old English sheepdog, you know, the shaggy dog movies where they create havoc in the house. She wanted one of those. And so we, we found, it was hard to find, we found a breeder in near Roseburg, Oregon, and uh, she had two females that at both had a litter around the same time, 21 puppies and all. And uh, we have them all. No, no, it's just teaser. But, <laughs> but uh, we got ours, and Sue wanted a female, and so they keep them so long, and we had to connect. At the same time, we, we believed that we were supposed to really help our kids down in uh, L.A., uh, Chad and Julia, to just take their boys away for a vacation respite, and we would take on our granddaughter who's with us today, Georgia. If you're not familiar with Georgia's story, she was born with a condition called lysencephaly, which is a smooth, called smooth brain disorder. So she's non-ambulatory, non-vocal, and uh, she has to be tube-fed. And uh, plus, she's, she fights a lot of seizures. So it's quite a detailed uh, um, assignment to take on. Uh, Sue and I have a lot of experience in these areas, so it's nothing that shakes us too much. But uh, so we decided part of this, we would fly down and then we took their van and we drove her in a two day journey back up. Well, while we were doing that, the puppy was ready for pickup. <laughs> and so the lady wanted to rendezvous with us at, at uh, Portland International Airport, a hotel right there because she was giving some puppies to other people. And, uh, you know, we did all our training videos. We went on YouTube and how to teach them not to bite and how to crate them and how to teach them to go outside. And have you ever watched something on YouTube and it just goes so smoothly? Yeah. Just, man, the, you know, this is what you do. Oh, ouch, don't bite. And just kind of feed them out of the hand and, you know, and if they want to go to the bathroom, eventually give them goodies and they'll just get used to it and talk kindly to them. And, and so we get there. It's one of those 95 degree days a week ago. In the parking lot, the lady was two hours late. Georgia needs her third feeding. Sue has no instruments to measure stuff, so she's got her laying on the tailgate of the van, and she's got this apple juice with this. She's on a keto diet with this keto juice, and she's putting it into the machine. And and it's uh, and of course she has diaper issues. And the next thing, we got our puppy dog that arrives right right at the right time. We're all sweaty. Here's the dog. Her name is Molly. First thing that happens with Sue is the dog pees all over her. And, uh, and she hands her back to me, and he pee she pees all over me. And uh, I got Georgia kicking, and uh, we're sweaty. And, and uh, what they didn't tell me is when I put her in the crate at night that she would be yelping for four or five hours. And so we spent three days without any sleep with a wailing puppy, and uh, George has had some issues, but uh, it's been good. Uh, the lady, I said, hey, we've got all our training videos. We've, we've been really, we've been really uh, working on stuff. We're ready to do this. <laughs> the, the breeder says, oh, those videos don't work. And, uh, <laughs> I thought, okay, great, great, <laughs> great. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for telling me. Well, we're, we're having a great time with Molly. And... Uh, and uh, I'm not quite as patient with her as the people in the videos. And uh, when she bites, it hurts. And uh, so she gets punished. Old school. All right, okay. <laughs> but it's good to be back in the pulpit. And uh, as we start, we're launching a new series today, A Lifestyle of Worship. And 
We've talked about developing a lifestyle of prayer, and we've had some great sermons, and, and uh, Jan taught us a lot of unique ways to go into the presence of God, and I appreciate that so much. And what she, Jan's probably logged more hours in prayer for this church than any single member of the church, and she should be applauded and encouraged for the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of prayer that she's logged in and interceding for this church. I, I appreciate Jan very much. Now we're going to talk about today, we're going to launch this out, called a lifestyle of, of worship. Our mission statement really has one word in it. You can actually see it in the back wall, but don't look at that. Keep your eyes on me. Uh, but uh, one word, and that's the word pursue. And we have four things we really pursue here at the City Harvest Church. We pursue God. We pursue God's, we pursue a thing called community. We want to be a community with a cause. We just don't want to be a church with a cause and no relationship. We want to be a community with a cause. We want to pursue God's purpose, or I want to say God's mission, and it involves a lot of things. It involves the gospel. It involves what we're doing with Anita and others. It involves church planning, going global, going local, getting involved in people's lives. In fact, after I preach at Latina today, I'm heading up to Tacoma to meet with a group of people who are trying to start a church. Bill Shidler's son's part of that. It's, it's what we do. We, we get involved in church planning. We, we believe in this thing that Jesus wanted us to go. Everyone say go. go. We, we believe in mission. It's a, it's, a, it's a big part of that. Jesus breathed on his disciples. This is the Father sent me, sent me, so I send you. And so we believe you is you. Okay, it's not George over there or Sally, it's you. So we're, we do that, but we, and, uh, we also believe in pursuing God's power because we can't do it in our own strength, amen? We need his resources, his intervention, his deliverances, his power, signs and wonders. We need God just to show up. If he doesn't show up, we're goners. That's what Moses said to God. If you don't go with us, don't take us out of here because, uh, I mean, how else will people know that you know, that you are God unless you are with us. And so we really need this thing called the power of God. Now back to pursuing God, in that there is prayer that we talked about. It involved in prayer is fasting. There is the Word, that, and we're going to get into a lifestyle of being in the Word and, and, and relating to the Bible and what it is to be a Word person. And, uh, <clears throat> and we also do this thing called worship. And so we're talking about how do we do it to pursue a lifestyle of worship? Now, as New Testament followers of God, we need to start, uh, I believe, this concept of worship with Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Because not only does this conversation have great theological significance, but it also reveals what God is looking for. So I want to just get right into to John chapter 4. Jesus said, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, the, the Samaritans, I don't want to get too deep into this, of the difference in the racial division between these two groups, but they, they, they tied their roots to the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Bible. And they worshiped and they had a temple on a mount called Mount Gerizim. And, uh, it, and it was their actual belief that they were actually more true to the pure heart of Yahweh and the establishment of that temple 
and it got polluted through the progressive revelation of, of Jewish history. Of course, we know David established worship in Jerusalem. Okay, as he was king there, he captured the city, created the city of David, brought the ark into that city. He wanted Jerusalem to be elevated above all things in the earth. And it was there that we get our Psalms. It was there we get the tabernacle worship. It's there we get all that, that that took place. But the Samaritans got stuck in the past. And they believed that they were in a, in a pure form to the old school under Joshua because the tent, the, the tent temple had resided there for a while. And so they, they were looking at that. And he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. This is really interesting. In other words, you're worshiping God, but with great ignorance is what he's saying. You're approaching him without really an understanding. We possess the true understanding of God. Now, one of the great phrases that we love to use, it's been used a lot the last 20, 25 years, is that we're not into religion we're into what? Religion. Yeah, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? But what Jesus is saying here, we Jews really have a greater understanding in our religious structure of how we relate to God, and you're ignorant. And so with Jesus, there is a place called religion. Now, I know like, oh, man, that sounds like Catholicism or smells and bells or something. But it is. Religion means that there's, there's ordinances based on things that God has revealed, there's things, there's patterns, there's, there's, there's things, there's ways by which we approach God and relate to God that Jesus says we do and you're ignorant of. But then he goes on to say something else. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And some of your Bible translations have a small s there, but it's the Greek word pneuma, it's spirit. It's spirit as in Holy Spirit in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That tells me a lot. That means people worship, and then there's a kind of worship that the Father seeks. They're not the same. They're not the same. So whatever spirit and truth worship is, the Father is seeking this thing. God is spirit, Jesus said. He's not tangible. He's, he's not, you don't just touch him with your physical senses. You Touch them with your faith sense, your spirit sense, the, the soul that's within you. You touch an invisible being, yet he's tangible and he's real in the spirit realm. And his worshipers must worship, must, not, it's not an option, must worship in the spirit and in truth. So let's get started. What is worship? Now, this is a little bit of a challenge, and I'm going to tell you why it's a little bit of a challenge. Because nowhere in the Bible does the Bible give you a specific per se definition of this is worship. There's nothing that says worship is, like an Oxford or Webster dictionary, and just kind of spells it out. What we do have is this word called worship described in many, many contexts that we can draw out of those contexts and those principles, those declarations, those stories we can draw in what worship looks like, and, and we can come to an understanding that way. So in this, worship is first a noun. It is a noun. It's the inward disposition of our hearts, that the highest love of our hearts is God. And he alone is worthy of us offering ourselves. Now, the question is this. So can I offer myself to something 
or someone else other than God? The answer is absolutely yes, and it's called idolatry in the Bible. Bible teacher Timothy Keller says this about the Bible. He believes the Bible is a book from Genesis to Revelation about the subject of idolatry, that who is going to win the heart of the human race? Is it going to be the one who created us and redeemed us on the cross, or is it going to be Satan who brings a counterfeit and is drawing people after himself? Who is going to win the heart of the human race? It's a book about idolatry. So worship is a noun. It's a disposition that I love God above all other things. And I, and I give him the honor that's worthy to him alone, and I give that honor only to him. It's a noun. Okay, it's also a verb. A verb in this, it's the expression of our adoration and reverence for God in our service to God and for God. So the verb aspect of worship, our expression, has to be the outworking of our noun aspect of our worship. In other words, we can't do if we not are. That's a, that's a, that sounds really horrible. Let me say it different. I must be before I do. It has to come out of something that's already there. And one of the problems sometimes when we're dealing with the subject of worship is we miss the heart and we get into methodology, we get into principles, we get into how to get the presence of God without getting the heart thing right. It's a disposition of my heart, and it's also an expression of that heart through ways that I do let God know that I exalt him and honor him above all other things. So let's just, let's just break down this thing called worship with some quotes here. I like quotes a lot, and so you, you've been around, you, you know that. Bible teacher John Piper says this, true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Billy Graham said this. I thought this was interesting. The highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. Ooh. I don't look at worship that way. The greatest form of praise, listen to this, is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and helpless. So really, Billy didn't see worship is music, per se. He thought it's something else. A.W. Tozer said this, No man gives anything acceptable to God until he has given himself in love and sacrifice. So according to Tozer, worship is something we give to God. The first being this, according to Romans 12:1, ourselves. What did Paul say? He said, I... I appeal to you. I beseech you using King James Version. I, I beg you. I'm going to use that word in my own terms. By the mercies of God. Everything I've talked about in the last 11 chapters of what Jesus did in making you right before him, justified in his presence, and he coming by the power of the Spirit and making you righteous from the inside out because of this great work of grace that you now present yourselves to him a living sacrifice. That's what you offer yourself to him. So before I go do, I got to offer myself to him. C.S. Lewis said this, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. 
And I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but the Psalms really describe to us the natural, physical expression of someone who absolutely delights in God. It's the natural thing that takes place when they're on fire for God, when they're in love with God, when they're filled with God, when they're consumed with God. And I recognize we all have a little bit of different personalities here. I'm not asking anybody to be disingenuous. But the issue is when he's in my heart possessing it, it's going to come out of me. That's what C.S. Lewis was saying. So let's talk about this. In light of this, I want to deal with five misconceptions of worship when we're talking about this. First misconception is this. People think worship's a vehicle. In other words, if we don't have the lights down, we don't have one polished professional indie band playing with a little fog machine, I can't worship. Well, your problem is that you're worshiping the vehicle, you're not worshiping him. Or if we don't sing hymns, okay, I, I can't worship. Well, you're worshiping the vehicle. You're not worshiping him. I want the old choruses. I love the old choruses. If, you know, some of, someone got up here and started singing, this is the day. I would get really excited. I remember being at Wendell Smith's memorial service and and. Uh, and uh, we sang some of the old songs from Bible Temple. I just wept. It just brought back intense encounters of what I had with Jesus. That's because I tied my own personal journey to that. doesn't mean someone else would have the same relationship to that. I can worship the vehicle. If I have to have those to worship, then I'm into the vehicle. I'm not into him. You can go to some places around the world. The music's really weird. It's not your favorite kind of music. So what we want to do is we want to bring Hillsong to, you know, to Persians. Okay, well, maybe Persians don't like Hillsong style music. So what do they do? They do Persian music. Okay, I remember listening to this guy's cassette tape going from Kabul to Mazar-e-Sharif in Afghanistan. Cab driver had one cassette tape playing one song. Remember those old cassette tapes, how they just kind of drug a little bit? You know, only kind of drug. Well, this is the kind of music. It was like, and it was an eight-hour drive. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty contextual. I can really get in the culture and roll with it. It's about the fourth hour. I'm in a cab with three other guys, packed like a can of sardines. I finally said, "Turn that thing off." You know. But the guy was really being ministered to by. We can, we can kind of get into the vehicle of what worship is. Or it's a mood. If it affects my mood, then I believe we've had a great worship service. And this is how it's communicated to me. Oh, man, I went to this gathering. I haven't been around worship like that in a long time. Then you have a heart issue. You should have worship every day in your bathroom, your backyard, in your car, okay? It, 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 it's not a mood. If that was worship, you finally got it, then this worship is about you and your emotions, not about him. It's not a mood. Half the time I serve Jesus, 
I'm either super sleepy or I'm ticked off. Because everything irritates me. But it doesn't mean I don't worship. I have to deal with my attitude and lift my hands and serve God. And I got to suck it up. I got to do it. Because he's worthy of that. It's called a sacrifice. It's not about, whoo, it moves me. I've been with, with churches where the pastor just can't even be out in the worship service because he hears a, a note wrong or something goes wrong. He just, he, just, he just gets all flustered and he just can't be there. It's not about the note that went wrong or if the lead singer got on the wrong pitch at a song or something. Those things happen. You think God's just up there just saying, I don't like this at all. No, I think we offer God our best, but our best is like a kindergartner, you know, making a stick man for a painting of their parents or something. It's, it's a, you know, every parent loves to look for their kid's drawing or painting when they go to open house when they're six years old. Some of your kids' paintings are in the teacher's desk. <laughs> they didn't quite make the wall, you know, but it was their heart. They, they tried, you know. Come on, we're dealing with the God of the universe. We're not going to impress him with all our skill, but he wants us to give him our best. It's not a, it's not a mood. It's, a, it's singing and it's making noise. That's worship. Well, how about when you pay the rent of a single mom? Is that worship? How about when you maybe pick up a, a widow and take her to her monthly doctor appointment, and then in that, you take a little extra time for a couple of hours to take her to lunch and see how she's doing, and you feel a little bit of her lonely life. Is that worship? Well, I need the fog machine, and I need darkness out, and I need the crowd, and I need the indie band, and, and that's when I'm going to get worship. You know, Jesus said to Satan, you worship, it's written, you worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. When you are serving the people of God, you are worshiping Jesus. Well, no, it's not singing. It's worship. Because you're doing it, you're wasting your life on them because they're so precious to him. Peter, you love me? Feed my sheep. It's, the, it's contemplative and liturgical. And you may not appreciate this because um, maybe you didn't come out of a liturgical tradition, but I, but I did. And I, I, I was very used to liturgies when I gave my life to Jesus. You know, liturgical people, they, and, and a lot of churches are kind of going back to doing some types of liturgies and stuff. And they, they, they like to reflect. They like to reflect on creeds and, and public statements. They love to reflect on the elements of communion and, the, and what does it mean. I know you got the transubstantiation and consubstantiation and, and whatever else substantiation. It's substantiated. But the issue is they love to concentrate on the, on the truths that, of what's being presented there and really be thinking about it. And a lot of times they think that charismatics are are disengaged intellectually. But we need to remember that relationship is emotional and it is affectionate. If I took Sue out on a date, I'm not going to state there at dinner with a piece of paper declaring a creed about her. I just want to say to you, Sue, you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
We are revealing the mystery of Christ in the church as we come together in one. I have left my father's house and I cleave to you. And we've become one flesh. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about, Bob? <laughs> amen, 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 amen. There is something about that. I knew I was done with a liturgical form of worship when I was in a Catholic mass about two months after I got saved. And they they quoting psalms back and forth to the priests. And it was, it was like revelation came to me on this psalm. And everyone said, amen. I said, I just shouted out, thank you, Jesus. That was good. And looked around. I recognized I was kind of a fish out of water. They believe it's a, it's, a, it's a service. Some evangelists, you know, we'll serve now, win souls now, we'll worship in heaven. But I'd like to remind my brothers and sisters who are in that camp that the Bible says that if I give my body to be burned, and I have all faith, and I do all these things, and I don't have love, I am nothing. And I'd like to remind all hard workers and I've joined that particular, particular fraternity, that there was a church at Ephesus that labored hard for God, but Jesus said to it, you've lost something in your heart towards me. You lost your first love. So worship is important. It's just not service. Man, Bob, this is kind of a complex subject. Now, whatever worship is, as we've said, the Father is seeking it. So, Jesus said this again, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You know, David was a man who chased after God, man after God's heart. And I think we all agree, looking at David, that there was just something very, very unique about him. And he expressed that chasing. He, he, he expressed that pursuit through his voice and song and his instruments and his body and worship. His, the, the man who had a heart for God, the, 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 he, I think, what, 70, 71, 75 psalms, and someone's going to correct me after this. I didn't study my, my factoid there, but that's okay. It's right in the heart of the Bible. It's interesting. The man has a heart for God. A book, books that he was very much a part of is right in the center of what we know of the scriptures. There was something about him that just expressed himself in his radical love for God. I believe Jesus was referring to this in spirit and in, in a general sense when he's, when he's dealing with the Samaritan woman. So what is spirit and truth worship? I've asked myself that a lot of questions for a long time because I've always been caught by this phrase for the father is seeking such to worship him. And that does tell me that we could do worship and not do that and not hit the target and not please the heart of God. Well, one is this, it must involve heart. I love God and I want to offer myself to him. Second is this, it, it must be based on a right understanding of God. Jesus said to the woman, you worship what you do not know. And we Jews know who we're worshiping. 
for salvation is of the Jews. We have a revelation of God. Worship requires, it's spirit and truth, it's truth, a revelation of God in his nature. God is to be considered holy. Now, if you were coming before a king, and you've been invited with a great invitation to come before that king, you would probably, you'd probably figure out what the etiquettes were when you're going to approach that king. You're not going to just kind of come in with your hands in the pocket. Hey, king! You're not going to have your phone out. Just kind of threading through what's the latest thing on Instagram. What's my IG followers saying? I don't think you're going to kind of walk with your hand in your pocket with your cell phone out like this because coming for a king, you're, you're going to know that God is holy. And you're going to know that God has prescribed a way by which you are to approach him. And you have that understanding of that. It's based on a right understanding. One is this, is that he's chosen you and he's chosen me to be a priest to him. We'll get into that at the end here in a few minutes. And as a priest, what I'm called to do and what you're called to do is to offer up sacrifices. That's what a priest does. So when I approach him, I not only consider him holy, I not only know that I am unworthy, so therefore I rejoice and I embrace the blood of Jesus, and I come with him in light of that. But I also, I also am now called to offer to him sacrifices as a priest. This spirit and truth worship means that it must start with the cross. We've said it already, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God, because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you offer yourself in response to that. It has to be the cross. The cross gives you the ticket into his presence. The cross allows you in boldness into his presence. The cross makes worship possible. The cross is we're responding to what he's done for us on that cross out of great appreciation. Also means it must... It must, it must come, involve, actually, I wrote this wrong. It must involve, I need to take that word out there. It must involve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moves us into worship. You know, it's an interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. You got your Bibles. I know we don't have you open your Bibles a whole lot. We throw things on the screen these days. But I purposely didn't put it up there, so just to catch you. Hebrews 2.12, I will proclaim your name. This is interesting. It's quoting from the Psalms, but the writer of Hebrews is liking it to Jesus. He says, I will, he's talking about the oneness of Jesus, our, our, our Savior and our sanctifier to us as the church. I will proclaim, this is Jesus speaking now prophetically, I will proclaim your name, Father, to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. I, Jesus, will praise you. And again, he says, I'll be confident in him. And again, he says, here I am with the children God has given me. So there is an honor of Jesus to the Father in the Trinity. And there's an offering as the great choir leader of the choirs of heaven and the choirs on earth of Jesus being that. Well, I thought he was God. He is, but he's still in that relationship. He submits to the Father. 
And he gives honor to the Father because we are joined to him by the Holy Spirit that's working actively in us. He brings something in us to do the same and offer praise and worship and glory to God. I remember being baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was first saved. And, and the thing that I can say, well, did you speak in tongues? Yeah, I spoke in tongues like a machine. I got interpreted publicly the first time I had, had it happen to me. Walked off in the woods, and what is this? And I had great experiences in that particular gift. But one of the greatest fruits of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is worship would swell up within me that I couldn't explain. I just wanted to praise him. I want to praise him. No one taught me. I was never around a church like ours. I just wanted to praise him, praise him. I was in an Episcopalian liturgical church. But they raised their hands. They sang in the Spirit, and there was just something in me bag the liturgy. Let's get that thing where we just all started singing spontaneously. It was, it was like, it was vented up in me, and I, it was just something that had to come out of me. It wasn't orchestrated. It wasn't created. It wasn't something I was trying to stir up. It was just there. Because Jesus said, for me and my brothers will worship you in the great assembly. I will put in their hearts a worship for you. It's got to come by the Holy Spirit. And fifth is this. It must come in the manner God has described. I must come to God in and through the blood of Jesus. Part of worship and spirit and truth is the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross. I don't go around the cross. I don't go around the blood of Jesus. I always tell people, you're... How do you know if I'm preaching the cross? Well, you're going to offend a moralist. You're going to offend a Mormon. And you're going to offend a Jew. Because there's only one way in the presence of God. And that's the blood of Jesus. That's, the only, that's my ticket in. You've got to come with assurance because he has shed his blood, given you the right to come before God. You've got to come with thankfulness. I'll enter his gates with what? I remember being in the church in, um, in Wenatchee. Um, I think it was called Bethesda. You remember those? It was a Bethesda bill. It was Larry Titus' church back in the day. Forget the name of that. But it was, it was interesting. You go in their foyer. The foyer was about as big as our sanctuary. And the p- carpets, of course, everything was purple in those days. We kind of, were kind of purple. But their lighting was such that it shone down on you. You looked red. And when you're going into the sanctuary, the whole walls were mirrors outside of the doors. And when you're going into the sanctuary, you saw yourself as completely red. And over the doors, it said, enter his gates with thanksgiving. See, when I'm covered in the blood, I can go into the very presence of God with a thankful heart of what Jesus has done for me. What he's done. So worship is the outward expression of the heart. Now, I could get, I know we have the Psalms and we have the lifting of hands and clapping and standing and our instruments and our song and dance, but, and, and I believe those things and we should worship in that way. But my, my point is I, I don't want to teach those things as law. I want to teach those things as the very natural expression when our hearts are moved by God and we don't try to use methods to work God, but our heart that moves God. I can draw close to God with a method, but that doesn't mean my heart is drawing close to God. Jesus said it this way. You draw near to me with your lips, 
but your heart is far from me. I don't want to be that way. You know, I've enjoyed the, the Olympics like uh, all of you have. Oh, stop that. Oh, stop that. I'm going to go back here a second. That was too fast. You look cute. You guys just don't be trigger happy out there. But uh, nothing moved me more than uh, Lydia Jacoby from Seaward, Alaska. I, Sue and I have been to Seaward, Alaska. We spent four days there taking her mother up there. She always wanted to see Alaska. It's a little fishing town. It's in the, on the Kainai Peninsula, in a little bay called Resurrection Bay. And they do fishing expeditions for, you know, for charter boats and stuff like that. And they have one little theater that has one show showing on a Friday night that's an old theater. The, the springs are coming out of the seats. The whole community comes out. And, you know, there's one guy working the popcorn machine. And, you know, you watch your weekly movie for that one night. It's a small town of 2,700. Lydia was 17 years old. She didn't even have a pool to train in. I think she had a 25-foot pool in Seaward, Alaska to, um, to train in. Alaska's never won a gold medal. The whole community comes out, and they're in this gym, and, and here she does. She wins the 100-meter breaststroke and is the first Alaskan to win the gold medal at the age of 17. Now, here's the reaction. Now we can hit it. You ready, guys? That was awful fast. Boom. Here's their crowd watching her. Whoops. Uh, oh, that's good. I, I went the wrong way. There we go. Here we go. Let's hit it. No one choreographed that. That's what's going to happen. When she gets to the wall and she touches it, you 15 over there start jumping. You guys over here start screaming. No, they were watching because they were into one thing. They were into their friend, their sister, their neighbor, Lydia, who at the age of 17 won a gold medal in the Olympics and represented their tiny little city. They were into her. And when she won, they won. And they flipped out. And the whole nation watched it over and over and over again. Now, what would happen if our worship looked like that on Sunday morning? I think people would say, I, I got to go into that place to figure out why those guys are so nuts. What is, why, why are they so intense? Because they're in love with Jesus. So worship is offering a sacrifice to God. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What do we do? We're offering as a priesthood spiritual sacrifices. Notice we come to a living stone that was rejected by humans 
That means we come to God through the cross. We're accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Worship involves the fruit of our praise. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, not when we're moved in a mood, offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Here it is, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So it does involve the fruit of my lips. But it also involves this, the fruit of my deeds. And do not forget to do good. Worship team, why don't you come on up here? And to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So worship happens all the time. Worship. A lifestyle of worship. Let's stand to our feet. Jesus, those young people in the community went bananas over Lydia Jacoby winning a gold medal. But Lord, man, you won a lot of gold medals. You've done so much for us. I pray that we would be overwhelmed by who you are, overwhelmed what you've done for us. And I pray that we be overwhelmed what you're doing. And that we would see you as the absolute essence of life with great, with great reflection of all that you are and all that you're doing. Our hearts are grateful, Lord out of appreciation, let us become worshipers of you. In Jesus' name.